Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, January 3rd, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Timonini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, today we are joined by a new voice here at Broadway Radio, my friend and Broadway World colleague, Julie Musbach. Back. Damn it. I asked ahead of time and I screwed it up anyway. Tamanini, Tamanini, Tamanini. I'm an idiot. Julie must back. I'm sorry, Julie. Uh, anyway, welcome uh, to Broadway Radio and today on Broadway. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, here in a few minutes, Julie is going to do kind of a special report that honestly, neither James or I are all that qualified to do for different reasons. Um, uh, but it just so happens that we've been planning on having Julie on to talk about this for a couple weeks now. And today's news cycle could not have worked out better timing wise for her to be here today. So we're going to get to that here in a little bit. But um, James, you're back at work. Broadway's back. Any anything that we need to know about coming up here in the next few days at Broadway Radio? I think that fire would be might be more expensive than Hamilton tickets these days in New York. It's cold here too. It's in the 40s here. I'm, I'm it, Ooh, I had to put on sweatpants. I have to buy some orange futures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, the price is going to go up there. So anyway, so um, we're ready to go. So James, why don't we get into the news? It's beef jerky time. All right, Broadway sets record box office highs in 2017. Yes, yesterday, now that we were finally clear of the holidays, the Broadway League announced the final week of box office totals for 2017, and. They were something. Uh, we will get to those in just a second for the week-specific stuff. But first, let's talk about what that means for 2017 as a whole. First, it is important to note that this year had 53 weeks of Broadway grosses, since the 365-day Gregorian calendar doesn't always line up exactly with Broadway's Monday to Sunday reporting schedule. So it's a little weird um, when you try to line things up. It's not 100% apples to apples or as James said, orange features, oranges to oranges here. Um, so it is a little different there. So that fact aside, we do know that Broadway grossed $1.637 billion last year, which is obviously a new record, besting 2016's previous high by $270 million. Attendance also hit a new record total at 13.74 million audience members. The previous year, 2016, had been the previous high watermark at 13.25 million people. However, those extra people in the audience did not solely account for the more than a quarter of a billion dollar increase in grosses. Instead, the average ticket price on Broadway rose $15 to $118. Everybody keep those numbers in mind when we get to Julie's segment here in a few minutes because they are pretty staggering. But Julie, since you were working the Broadway World News Desk for most of the day yesterday, just off the top of your head, how many different press releases did you get where a show was bragging about some sort of box office record that they set? You know, I only got two, one from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which I have to say was a little surprising since that show has not boasted such great numbers. Yes. Um, and then also Come From Away, which apparently broke its own record, which is less surprising. Do you see the yeah, Bronx you... Tale uh, press release as well? I was surprised it by did. Bronx Tale, yeah. Yeah, Bronx Tale came in early uh, full disclosure, Julie starts on the news desk at 11. So I think we got two or three before she started. Uh. Um, but there were a lot. And uh, James, we've talked about this before. To me, I mean, yes, we're happy about those rising tide lifts all boats. 
but they're a little gross to me. And we'll we'll talk about that. We mixed feelings about those. But anyway, back to last last week's grosses. They, too, set a record high coming in at fifty point four million dollars, which is about six hundred forty four thousand dollars more than the corresponding week in twenty sixteen. Only one show. Springsteen on Broadway saw a box office decline. I heard a little birdie told me that it was because James was offered a ticket, but he was out of town, so he couldn't go. James, can mm. you confirm or deny that? I have no comment. Okay, not true. You not would have true. left your family in upstate New York I to go to that show. I would have. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All 31 of the other shows saw week-to-week increases, and in many cases, substantial ones. 17 shows did an extra ninth performance between Christmas and New Year's. Wicked was one of those shows with nine performances, and it pulled in the largest increase of the week at $1,080,461. 15 shows saw gains of more than half a million dollars, and 11 others saw other six-figure week-to-week increases. Can I interrupt you for a second? Yes, please do. Wicked had an increase of one million eighty thousand dollars. Yes, yes, that, not that, that's not, that not their total. total. Yeah, but oh, that's just the increase. Sure. Okay, you can keep going. Yeah. Again, I said they were staggering. Yeah. Um, Hamilton set another record, pulling in $3,854,874. It was followed by the aforementioned Wicked, which was the second of three shows to eclipse $3 million at $3.3 million. Wicked also led the way in terms of the percent of gross potential, coming in at 164.9%. Again, if you have a, a gross potential, I don't understand how you can get more than that but whatever that's neither here nor there um that's like people who give 110 percent. technically not possible anyway the other three million dollar show was the lion king then it was followed by 20 other shows that uh, had increased or that that ended up grossing between one and three million dollars <clears throat> and they were hello dolly springsteen on broadway aladdin the phantom of the opera dear of enhancing the book of mormon Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, as Julie mentioned, School of Rock, Come From Away, Cats, Anastasia, The Band's Visit, Kinky Boots, SpongeBob, SquarePants, Waitress, Miss Saigon, Chicago, A Bronx Tale, which James mentioned, Beautiful Meteor and Meteor Shower, bringing up that last six or seven-figure club membership. James, uh, in uh, I don't know, well. We'll get back to that. But in case you were wondering, Home from the Holidays did pick up an extra $1,338, good for them, uh, to come in at $79,125 for 5.3% of its gross potential and an average ticket price of $26.62. It's a palindrome. I like that. But, uh, James, in, in the nearly two years that we've been doing this show five days a week, we've often talked about the dichotomy of how great it is that so many shows are having these fantastic box office totals and they're setting records, but at the same time about how terrible it is that it might end up hurting the average theater lover and someone who would like to go to theater more often. Our friend, arts administrator Howard Sherman, um, who I've talked about on this podcast and another podcast before, is that he's the first person who I ever listened to do a podcast. Um, But he tweeted a very insightful and not too lengthy Twitter thread yesterday that succinctly laid out a lot of the issues that I've had with this trend. And I think, James, you have as well. Um, We'll have a link to the full thread in the show notes. But in part, it read, quote, only four shows on Broadway last week had average ticket prices below one hundred dollars. Three at not-for-profit houses. Yes, the numbers will largely come back down to earth next next week, but rising prices continue to set record uh, 
that only served to demonstrate rising prices and increasing inaccessibility of Broadway for many. Yes, producers and artists should earn livings from Broadway, but this perceived flagship of theater in U.S. must address its ingrained and growing economic inequality. If the public and media continue to see Broadway as the pinnacle of U.S. theater, the message will be that all theater is too expensive and too hard to see. The counter-narrative of the breadth of theater must get out. Now, James, we've talked about this a lot. We've praised the wonderful programs like Eduham and the stuff that Roundabout does and the stuff that um, the council, the, the city council in New York is doing to get veterans. And we've talked about these great programs that get affordable or free tickets into the hands of people who want to see shows. But you are a business person. How can this ever change? I, I don't know if we've just opened Pandora's box. Is there any way to get these premium seat and standing room only and raising ticket prices back in the box? Mm, back in the box, no. I think that uh, we won't see that happen unless there's a dramatic drop-off in the economy. And and this is disposable income for folks. You know, they, you know, you pay your mortgage first and your rent first and your heat and electricity and your food and then Broadway. Uh, you hope. You hope. Well, a lot of our <laughs> listeners, it might not go that not way. Not all of us do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, theoretically, uh, Broadway is a disposable, per disposable income purchase. Um, but I think that what we're seeing in the last year or so is the um, these um, premium ticket prices that were once – you know, we never saw "quote unquote" the grosses from the the aftermarket, the scalper market. I think that the scalpers are getting hit hard here, uh, especially with uh, the availability of being able to get tickets um, through various uh, secondary markets online that are more legitimate. You know, the actual telecharge secondary market and Ticketmaster secondary market, uh, today's ticks and uh, SeatGeek and things like that are really cutting Stubhub, into yeah. what was that? And StubHub, yeah. And StubHub. That's yeah, I was actually looking for StubHub. I couldn't get I couldn't figure it out in my head what it was. Uh you're right. Um so I think that what we're seeing is a view of the uh, more of the secondary ticket market in the grosses here. I don't think that it has changed all that much other than people are buying hmm. very expensive tickets over the box office window now versus through some 800 uh, telephone number in Connecticut or New Jersey. Mm -hmm. uh, gotcha. All right. That, that makes sense. Uh, one thing that Hamilton did do this past week to kind of go along with what you're saying, and this is something that Hamilton has been doing trying to do uh, for most of its run to combat scalpers is that the premium ticket prices between Christmas and New Year rose to $1,150. That's an increase over last year's price at this point, which was $998. People obviously bought them. Um, so, you know, that's there's definitely a market for it. Another thing that Howard Sherman, before we wrap this up, another thing that Howard noticed was that between 1986 and 2016, the average movie ticket price went up 133%, while the average Broadway ticket price went up 254%. Now, uh, he notes that obviously those things are much different and, and everything, but I as far as I know, in most cases, James, there's not a secondary market for movie tickets. So that does lend some credence to what you were saying about producers and and ticket 
agents have figured out ways to counteract the the scalpers who go and make additional profits off of their tickets and try to bring those profits in-house. So there's a few things that we could, from a, a standpoint of fans, is that uh, obviously the organizations like TDF and the half-price ticket booths and uh, various other um, ways to get discounted tickets uh, are still out there and just as much out there as they have been ever before. Uh, you know, the, the, the uh, I think all the big popular shows do sell rush type of discounted tickets mm -hmm. or lotteries. Think, oh, yeah. Yeah. Lotteries and things like that. Uh, the other ways that th these things can be combated is stricter scalping laws. Um, stricter scalping laws would, uh, you know, shut down a lot of that and building of new theaters. You know, it's a, basically it's a <laughs> supply and demand. So, yeah. um, if you build well, more you, theaters, then we'll, uh, be able to they will come. have more. Yeah. If you build them, they will come. Now, exactly. you mentioned all the ways that people can get cheaper tickets, and that's why we actually have Julie here. Uh, James, most theater that you see in New York, you get for free. You're a, a well-entrenched member of the theater media. You are a Drama Desk voter, um, so you get to see a lot of stuff for free. I don't live in New York, so when I see it, I buy stuff way in advance because I have zero chill, and I don't. I don't like risking not seeing something that I want to see. So even if I could get something cheaper, I just buy it ahead of time because I ha feel like I have to see it. Now, Julie, who is not uh, yet a, a voting member of any awards committees and is a person who a younger person, younger than both you or me, James, um, she lives in New York. I think, as she said, sometimes she sacrifices rent or electricity to go see shows but she's figured out some ways to to see stuff so that's why we have you here today julie it's that time of year when maybe people got some uh maybe they've got some sort of trip to new york for the holidays or maybe they're going to come up for broadway con and they need to figure out ways to see things whether it's theater or cabarets or concerts or something cheaply so speak to us yoda tell us your information how can people do this if they're coming to New York and want to see something without having to sacrifice food for a month and a half. All right. Well, I focused primarily on cabaret because, you know, maybe you got a holiday gift of a trip to New York or you've got your tickets booked to Broadway con later this month and you're trying to find ways to just fill your time that aren't going to break the bank. You know, it is a way to use that spare change that you've got, you know, jingling around after selling your soul to the Broadway box offices, <laughs> because in most cases that is what you have to do. It's, it, there are ways to find cheaper Broadway tickets, but as you said, if you're taking a trip into the city, you want to be sure you're going to be able to see something. And, you know, buying the full price ticket is just about the only way you can do that. So cabaret is a great option, especially if you're looking for a shorter night out or if seeing a Broadway show just isn't enough for you. Because who wants to head back to the hotel at the early hour of 930, right? <laughs> I'm with you. So there are <laughs> there are plenty of ways to get less expensive tickets to cabaret venues like 54 Below and Birdland. And I have to say, as annoying as it can be, the best way I've found to dig up these discount codes is just to subscribe to the venue's email list service. You know, I'm right there with everyone saying marketing emails are nonstop these days, but some of the best discounts come straight from the source. So 54 Below will actually almost always have a section of just announced shows offered with a discount code. And this is even for big draws. For instance, Anthony Rapp is coming up at the end of January, and he actually appears in this section so you can get discount tickets to his show. 
Now, if you miss the just announced, it can sometimes even be better to wait to get tickets, even if you're, you know, going a little nutty wearing that they'll sell out, which <laughs> I always do. <laughs> but, you know, within a week or two of the performance or, you know, partway through the sales period, if you check those emails, you can usually find something. But also make sure to check social media, especially that of the performers. They'll usually share a code as the date gets closer, especially if it's one of their own solo concerts. You know, they have a real interest in getting people there no matter what it takes. And now I mentioned those night owls who love an 11 p.m. show, which I have <laughs> to say can be a lot of fun, especially since Cabaret has that, you know, bar atmosphere and you get both that nightcap feel plus a great show. And now what I didn't realize until I was doing some research is that Birdland will actually offer you 50% off of bar admission to an 11 p.m. performance if you show them your same day ticket from a Broadway show. So you oh, can, you know, cool. pop over right from Hello, Dolly or Dear Evan Hansen, whatever you happen to see that night. And you can, you know, have a drink at the bar and hear some really great jazz. They honestly have some of the best jazz in the city. So if you, even if you don't recognize the performer on the door, you can still be assured that you'll have an amazing mm -hmm. That's really true of all the venues, to be honest. And some of the cheaper tickets can be from people you've never heard of. So it's always worth it to check that out. It's also worth mentioning that Birdland's food and drink minimum is only $10 typically. So it's perfect if you only want to grab a drink or an app appetizer. And now along the lines of food and drink minimums, those are often the reason that a night gets expensive when you do cabaret. 54 Below's is usually around $25 and it's nearly impossible to stay even close to that. Not to mention the fact that their food and drinks are so good that you don't want to. <laughs> and then we've got the Green Room 42, which is actually a new, new cabaret venue. And they've done away with those minimum. The price of the ticket is all you pay for entry. And those are wow. usually so affordable. And, you know, new or not, they have some really impressive programming, such as Ava Nobozada, who just did a whole residency there and is actually still there due to popular demand, of course. And, you know, they've had cast members from Great Comet and Wicked and some really great stuff like that. Now, as far as blanket discounts go, you can usually check today ticks, which I know offers 54 below events. But just be aware of today ticks is $10 fee. So if that's the amount they say you're getting off of the ticket price, you're really only saving about $5 in the end. So you have to be a little careful with that one. And then, you know, again, check social media artist profiles and see if they've posted anything recently. If not, you should also check out goldstar.com. They've got loads of discounts, even to Broadway shows. Like you can see a Bronx tale very easily. You know, some of the new shows, I believe Parisian Woman is on there if you wanted to get into that. And their discounts can be up to about 50% or they can even get you in for free sometimes. But, you know, in the end, it's really up to the venue to offer discounted tickets, which is where it can be a little difficult. But they want you at their shows as much as you want to be there. So you can almost always find something. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I totally forgot about uh, Gold Star. Definitely, uh, Jim over Gold, Gold Star is uh, – they've put together some really good um, – they, their emails that I get, uh, sometimes they will just send out an email blast, say, these are all comps. Just go through this. and, <laughs> and uh, Yeah, it's crazy. I used to work in a box office, and they had I had so many people come in night after night to see the shows, and it was either free or they paid like $5 in fees. It was crazy. And 
Julie, you you mentioned going and seeing shows after you've seen a Broadway show the first time, actually the only time that I've ever met you in person. That, that's what I did. I was coming from Hello Dolly, came over to Fifty Four Below. I got there a couple minutes late. Oops, um, to see um, uh, Laura Michelle Kelly, uh, and so yes. that, that was a great way to kind of go from a show to see a concert. I wish that some of the times at 54 below or birdland or something else were a little more staggered so they you know that I, that it was a little easier to see a broadway show and then a concert because i would do that every night that i'm in town um, but that's hard because yeah. sometimes they they don't have those so you just you do have to kind of plan your trip i have uh, a whole set of notes in my on my computer and on my phone uh detailing everything that i'm going to be doing in my march trip so uh I, I will definitely be trying to sneak in uh some sort of concerts and i'll use your tips as much as possible yeah, I saw an 11 p.m. show at Birdland, and it was a little weird for me. I was like, this is past my bedtime. <laughs> but <laughs> it was Leah Delaria. It was so much fun. Oh. The musicians were incredible. She was incredible. The whole night was just fantastic. And, you know, it's like, you're in New York. Why not be out that late? Why not kick the party off at 11 p.m. and just get going? You, you don't work until 11 anyway. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and Leah will keep you awake. You oh, She's oh yeah, loud. so good. Loud, <laughs> <laughs> wow, talented, hilarious. It was so much fun. <laughs> she is great. All right, so let's uh, move on to the next section. Our big screen musical news. Yeah, so getting back to box office stuff, but obviously of a different kind. So a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember, two two weeks ago, I, I talked about how much I loved The Greatest Showman, even though it wasn't a particularly good movie. Well, apparently that type of positive word of mouth has gotten out at the as the movie musical set a unique record over the weekend. So follow me here. In its first weekend, the show did just $8.8 million at the box office, a pretty disappointing total. However, in its second weekend, it took in over $15 million, which represents a 73% increase from its opening to its second weekend. That is the record, see if you can get this, for the largest hold for a movie that played in over 3,000 theaters in both weekends. So basically that means most times the opening weekend is the biggest weekend for any movie. Normally, when you're holding, you're trying to keep maybe 75% of what you did in your opening weekend. In this case, they actually increased about 73%, which is a huge thing, which I think that obviously goes to the fact that one, it was the holidays, but two, a lot of people who saw it raved about it far more than the critics did. Julie, have you seen this movie yet? This seems like something up your alley. You know, I haven't seen it yet, but I have been listening to the soundtrack and I have to say I've been enjoying it more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, I think it's actually... I, uh, the soundtrack is not as good as the movie, um, in my opinion. So I think you'll probably enjoy it even more after you finally see the film. In some other movie musical news, yesterday it was announced that Tony-nominated director Kristen Hange will be directing a film adaptation of Bear, a pop opera. Hange originally directed the show in 2000, and she also adapted the script for the big screen. Although I don't know how many big screens this one will actually be on. I, I feel like this is probably one that's going to be on the small screens uh, that on like. 
streaming services and stuff first. But if you're unfamiliar with Bear, the story focuses on two gay high school students and their struggles at their private Catholic high school. There's no word as to when the film is scheduled to be shot or released or who will be in it. But the creative team is currently looking for Bear testimonials of what the piece has meant to its fans. Producers are asking lovers of the musical to self-record one-minute pieces of their personal experience with the show, its score, and its story. We will have a link to that submission information in the show notes at broaderradio.com if you want to check that out. All right. Uh, next up, Hamilton National Tour announces new cities and dates. Yeah. I, before we get into this, I, I have to admit I'm a little shaky on this one because, one, I'm not a very smart man. But, two, I just feel – I. We love Shane uh, Marshall Brown and the, uh, the the press folks who handle Hamilton. I don't know if they do the tour, too, but I'm really confused as to what's the first national tour, what's the second national tour, what's the Angelica, what's the Philip, what's the Eliza. So I, I'm just very confused. But what we do know is that yesterday Hamilton announced 2018 dates for a national tour. I don't know which tour, if it's one tour, but we do know that the first national tour, which just finished up its Los Angeles run, will come back, will not come back, will stay in California at the San Diego Civic Center from January 6th through the 28th. There are dates throughout the course of 2018. For the most part, they're overlapping, so it's both tours, but I don't know which is which, and it's pretty confusing. I think if I put them on a spreadsheet i could figure them out um but they have the dates in tempe arizona seattle washington denver colorado portland st louis uh, salt lake city houston atlanta vegas washington dc at the kennedy center des moines iowa boston massachusetts and more um i it is coming here to orlando at some point in the 2018 2019 season so that date looks like that's probably going to get pushed to 2019 um and i'd love to be able to figure out which tour is going where and which cast is going to be which one but it's i'm a little confused as to that julie do you have any insight into this again since you're kind of on the news desk i don't know if this is something you've got any insight into you know i feel the same way you do i've been getting all these releases about hamilton coming to this town and this town and this town and it feels like there's a lot of overlap i'm not entirely sure who's who and what's where but i think it is really great that they're trying to get it going out there and trying to get it to as many places as possible so as many people can see it as they can because it's such a huge draw still yeah absolutely like that we like you can figure out here the 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 one of the tours is going to be in tempe arizona from january 30th through february 25th we know that that is the first national tour because the second national tour i don't know if that's the philip or the eliza i'm so confused that kicks off in seattle from february 6th through march 18th so you there are overlaps on these but when it gets through further and further into the year, I'm not sure which one goes. But anyway, we'll have a link in the show notes if you want to check out where we'll be playing throughout the course of 2018. And then hopefully as this keeps going, we'll be able to figure out which cast and which tour will be in which city throughout 2018. Did you know that if you put a map of the United States down and chart out all the cities that they're going to, it, spe- it spells out A.ham. <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> that's terrible. Where's the dot? Uh, That's probably Des Moines, Iowa. That's probably Des Moines. All right. Next up, New Year's Eve, Bernstein on Broadway, now streaming. 
Yeah, we talked about this yesterday, James. Um, the live from Lincoln Center, Bernstein on Broad Bernstein, Bernstein or Bernstein? It's like Musback and Musbach. I Bernstein. Okay, <laughs> Bernstein on Broadway. I'm, Julie, you're new to this, but I'm terrible with names, and I apologize ahead of time, but I screw everything up. But anyway, uh, the live from Lincoln Center that aired on New Year's Eve is now available to be, screen, be streamed on PBS's website. We will have a link in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com if you want to check that out. As we talked about before, Annalie. Ashford, Laura Osnes, Chris Jackson, and Aaron Tveit joined the New York Philharmonic in a tribute to the legendary composer. Um, it's still sitting on my DVR, so I haven't watched it yet, but uh, I'll probably do that during the day today um, and have it on as background music. So um, excited that this will be able to be seen by a lot of other people who might have had better plans on New Year's Eve uh, than I did or didn't have their DVR set to tape, but should be a fun one. And as we said yesterday, there's going to be a lot of Bernstein uh, uh, celebrations throughout his centennial year in 2018. What was the woman's name? Siroche. Sir Sharonin. Sir Sharonin, I can do. Or Gugu, uh, Gugu and Batara. Uh, that's another one. I can do those ones. I can't get <laughs> Bernstein. I'm an idiot. I'm not very smart. <laughs> well, you better get us out of here then. All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. And subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Julie, where can people find you on the interwebs if they want to ask you any questions about how to get things cheaply in New York City? I am on Twitter at Julie Mousepack, and I am on Instagram at Julie K, that's C-A-Y-2-6. Oh, and Mousepack is, is M-U-S-B-A-C-H because... It is. You know, We'll put Sorry. it in the show notes as well. Yes, that's it. Yeah. All right. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayVideo.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Wednesday with us. And Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.